0: Hello. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Hello, this is Beth Blick from Able Media, and welcome to our nine episodes on speaking on ability with Beth Blick. Our guests tonight are Michelle Gross and uh, fr- um, from uh, Communities United Against Police. Brutality, along with Noah McCourt, who is with um, the Minnesota Disability Uh-oh. Justice Network. Uh, Michelle is a fighter for all Minnesotans, including those with disabilities. Um, combating uh, police brutality for people with disabilities not at all always mentioned. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having us tonight. Thanks mm-hmm. Thank you for having us.
1: So this is Matthew. I will be also helping to facilitate tonight.
0: Um, Why don't you all
2: go ahead and
0: introduce yourselves and
2: your work, and then best we'll get started with some questions. Okay. Noah, you want to go first? Yeah, I'm sorry. What was the question? Introduce Oh, hi. My name is Noah McCourt, and I am a disability advocate here in Minnesota. I do a lot of work at the state legislature. Um, and also just in communities, helping people with disabilities um, really kind of achieve their full potential. Um, I am also on the autism spectrum um, and do a lot of work specifically around um, autism related causes as well.
3: And um, I'm Michelle Gross, and I am um, one of the founders and currently the president of the group Community United Against Police Brutality. And Community United Against Police Brutality is an all-volunteer group, always has been, And we are actually just had our 20th anniversary, and we provide advocacy for people dealing with the effects of police brutality. We also do a lot of work to try to change the underlying causes, so things like legislative stuff, um, things at the city council level. And then we do a lot of education to teach people about their rights when dealing with police and things like that and about the issue. So we kind of work in those three ways.
1: Great. Um, I know, Great. Noah, um, you were on our show before. We touched on this issue uh, once previously, and I believe that tonight Beth is really interested in hearing about um, uh, disabilities that maybe don't get mentioned as much in the mainstream news and that sort of thing when it comes to police, police brutality. So, Beth, I will let me take the floor from there.
0: Okay, um, disabilities that often don't get mentioned are, um, a lot, are people who are, uh, who have, who are developmentally disabled and, uh, blind people, deaf people, Quite often it is uh people who have um, who are dealing with uh mental health mental health uh, uh, disabilities it's big news now you know that 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 homeless people you know uh who are um you know, out of the streets, uh, you know, wind up in in jails. We all know about that, but you know, um, it's always other other disabilities and pe- and people in wheelchairs. You know, unless uh, they're going to a protest, and even that, uh, you know, such as. Uh, you know, what a, uh groups like ADAPT do, you know, when they uh, go and protest um, at, uh, you know, A, B, or C?
2: You know, one of the examples I actually heard recently um, was an individual
0: who
2: <coughs> um, was a paraplegic and was a wheelchair user and law enforcement actually did not believe that they were paraplegic, and so they dumped them out of the wheelchair onto the pavement um, to force them to prove that they were actually disabled, um, which is actually, like, very illegal, um, and did result in an ADA lawsuit. Um, in regards to people who are deaf, um, St. Paul has actually had quite a few lawsuits over failures to provide an interpreter um, and failures um, to effectively communicate with individuals um, who are members of the deaf or hard of hearing community. Um, that has been a huge issue here in the state of Minnesota because we do have a large population of individuals who
0: are um, deaf or hard of hearing. Exactly.
2: I would say that you're right that in many ways um a lot of the focus does go towards um mental illness, and it's unfortunate because in the world of social services, a lot of the money does go towards um disability services, and um there's often a risk between the those who advocate for mental health and those who advocate for what they see as um um as a disability services, when in reality mental health under the ADA is in fact a disability. You know, the ADA defines um, a disability as a, um, a physical or mental condition that affects one or more major life activities. And whether or not you're schizophrenic or a paraplegic or on um, the autism spectrum, um, we all have aspects of our disability that impact um, how we function in society and life in general. Mm. Right. Just a quick check-in. Michelle, are you
0: still
3: with us? Yeah, I, I my phone died, and then I had to frantically dial back in. I just got back in, and I apologize because I know this means you're going to have to do a lot of editing to get all this extra crap out. Sorry about that. Okay, okay. that's fine. Just making sure. I literally just got back in, so I don't know what you guys were doing in that time where I couldn't get my phone to cut back on.
0: Sorry. That's okay. Anyway. Okay, I'm ready.
1: Going back to what Noah was saying, you mentioned um, that, um, you know, that that a lot of the mental health um, stuff, Um, has come up and that it's been combated by ADA lawsuits and things like that. Um, But is there um, work specifically that we can all do um, to try to kind of get those uh, folks who might be a little bit out of the limelight as far as um, disability and and the focus on police brutality, what can we all do um, to make sure that that we're getting attention to the people that need it
3: well one of the things that needs to happen is that we really need to get cops out of the business of responding to lots of kinds of calls Um, you know one of the reasons that people get injured by the police is because frankly police aren't answering things that they shouldn't be answering so mental health crisis calls is a a one that people recognize um, right away you know, please have nothing to offer someone in a mental health crisis. So why are they the ones to respond? And worse than that, many times people who, you know, they, when you bring a law enforcement lens to these situations, then basically people are, you know, police are expecting people to behave in a certain way, you know, that they're supposed to respond to their commands and all of this kind of stuff, you know. Um, and people who are in a mental health crisis or maybe developmentally delayed, Or um, sometimes deaf people, in particular, this has come up a lot for deaf people, Um, where people, where they don't, simply don't respond to the commands because they don't hear it, or they can't respond to it quickly enough. And with police, it's kind of like, do this, do that, do this, you know. And and sometimes there's multiple people shouting orders at the person, and it's sensory overload for people on the the autism spectrum. You know, so they're not able to interact with police the way that police expect them to. And then that's where things really go south. What we've got to do, I think, is get police out of the business of addressing those situations, period. They're not equipped to do it. They're not going to learn how to be equipped to do it. There's not enough training in the world. So um, we've got to stop having them respond to homelessness, um, have respond to, you know, um, wellness and welfare checks, responding to mental health crisis calls, drug overdoses, um, just, you know, other medical emergencies. The whole gamut of things that Really police have nothing to offer. So we, we have to, yeah, we have to build an infrastructure for those other kinds of responses. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We push a lot for funding for a dedicated mental health crisis response and for um, a response team for those other kinds of situations. And, you know, that's, that's where I think, um, you know, where everybody can be a part of this is to tell your legislators, tell your City council members that you want alternative responses to police for things that don't require a law enforcement lens. That's a really important place that people can get involved
1: mm. Beth, did you have any
0: more questions about that? I know you um about that. Um, I can't think of anything right now.
3: I'd like to throw something else out there if I could. Would that be okay? Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Communities United Against Police Brutality spent about two and a half years working on a paper on um, ending police-only responses to mental health crisis calls. It's a large paper. It's 160 pages with over 500 references. And I would invite people to go to our website to look at it. It's cuapb.org, um, cuapb.org which stands for Communities United Against Police Brutality.org. And take a look at that paper, and then we have sort of a shorter recommendations list. And um, the big thing, again, is to get police out of the business of responding to things that don't need a law enforcement lens. Um, this will do enormous amounts to... Free up police officers to do things that, where somebody's been, you know, the victim of a crime or whatever, to address those things. But it will take them away from things that they are poor at, at handling, and um, it really is about us learning how to craft those secondary kind of or those alternative response, you know, units. You know, we have, we have to build that infrastructure, and it's. Important to do it, but I would really invite people to take a look at that paper because it talks about all of these kinds of issues in a pretty um, definitive way. So
1: beautiful. Um, what we will do also um, when we publish this podcast episode, um, you can look at the episode description for links to CUACD. And anything else that we mentioned during this episode. So, um, if you if you are looking for those for those resources, we will make them readily available on the uh, podcast episode description.
0: Great. Right. Yes.
3: Yeah. Um, one of the things that people don't realize is that fifty percent of the people killed by police. Are in the throes of a mental health crisis at the time, and the jails are
0: packed.
3: As Beth mentioned, the jails are packed with people experiencing mental health crisis, having other kinds of disabilities um, that make them act a little bit differently than what people's expectations are. And the jails are utterly packed with these folks, and there's no reason for it. It's expensive. It does not. It's not patient centered. It doesn't give people the care that they need, and um, it's just a tremendous strain on society without a good reason. You know, it's and it's, it's deeply unfair to disabled people to, you know, basically the way we deal with disabled people instead of giving them what they need is to stick them in the prison system. So this is, I think, really problematic, and it's something that we all have to be thinking about. How can we change that dynamic? And it starts at the doorway of the police, but it continues on through the rest of the cycle.
2: And I would even echo on that, that even before pe- people with disabilities um, are being, um, you know, placed in prison, you, where well, you can really start to see the problem, and really where it is extremely insidious as to how pervasive the problem is, is you see it in the schools. Um, people, you hear people talk about um, racial disparities in education, and, you know, so often, when we talk about racial disparities in education, uh, you know, you you hear questions like, well, if this individual, you know, had a disability, they'd have an IEP, and it really um, pits special education um, and racial equity against one another, when when in reality, it's the same pocket of students. And so it's the same pocket of students that are being disadvantaged in the school system and as a result of being disadvantaged in the education system and just really in society in general, they're ending up behind bars.
3: I think that's so true, Noah, um, particularly because what I've seen is the, um, the um, police that they have in the schools. You know, like, I don't really like this idea of having cops in schools, but they have them. And the cops in schools they don't follow those IEPs. I'm working with the mom of a, of a young man that got tased in his um, school. With, and there was an IEP for him on how to address his behavioral issues. It was never followed. Um, as a result of them not following it correctly, and the cop was like, manhandling this kid, the kid kind of breaks away and starts to run away, and the cop tases him. It's a really, the video is heartbreaking. And, um, and it is exactly because, you know, this, Confluence between law enforcement and disability is really an important one to pay attention to. And it's, like you said, in the school that starts, and it kind of just goes out from there, you know. And it's a, it's a terrible confluence. It really
0: is.
1: So much of the integration of people with disabilities that we're not seeing in school is following into the larger society also.
3: No doubt. That that, yeah, okay. See No doubt. And, um, and you know, again, it's because, you know, there's sort of this cookie-cutter idea about how people ought to behave and ought to relate to the world, and um, we should be better than that. We should. You know, we've gotten a little tiny bit better about it on race, so I think we have a very long way to go. And maybe we address, to a certain degree, the economic disparities, but we do not – in any meaningful way address the disparities that result from people um, being differently abled and I, and I think that's frankly appalling in our society. We just, you know, we act like people are, um, should just all act exactly the same and be the same and then you won't have a problem with the police and all this stuff. Well, I think the, 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 the problem is with the police and not with the people and, you know, we need to make it so that people who are neurodivergent and just really, you know, behave in different ways. You know, we, we should have diversity and 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 and, and um you know everybody in that says, like when the cop says jump, you don't have to say how high, you know. Um we should be able to have that flexibility in our society and um and it doesn't exist and it's I think frankly appalling. So I'd love to hear Noah's reflections on that too.
2: I mean, yeah, it it really is. Um you know, I think we do have a that in in many ways that we as society we have expectations of how people should act, and when you don't fit in the box you know it really um, becomes grounds for institutionalization and it's unfortunate but it really is the way that um, we've come to respond as a society to people who are differently enabled. Um you know even as early as the industrial revolution in the um, early 1900s we really saw um thought there when you know that even the way that we built our economy was really based on people who could work and people who could work um, you know the way that society needed them to work and um, there was no accommodation and so as a result of there not being any sort of accommodation to, uh, to uh, perceived norms and societal standards we ended up pathologizing disability and that's where you got a lot of the issues with the state-run institutions until um, people really started to take a look at the human rights violations that were occurring in the state-run an institutions. And even today, if you look at the lifestyles of many people with disabilities who live inside the walls of institutions versus um, those that live outside of the institutions, the opportunities that are afforded to them really are very similar. And so we really need to increase opportunities for integrated employment, we need to decrease opportunities for, um, uh, for run-ins with, uh, with law enforcement. Because quite frankly, a lot of these run-ins are, are, are caused by people who just want to, who just have these societal expectations and some old white lady clutching the pearls, you know, is enough for um, someone's rights to really be violated. And so we really need to educate society on, if it's not your business, leave it alone. You know, if nobody's being harmed, leave it alone. You know?
3: Exactly. I agree with that so much. Um, particularly, you know, like you said, there's this kind of um, th- expectation that we have that everybody is going to just be the same and, and process the world the same way and everything like that and um, and then when people don't, then it's considered so aberrant that, oh gosh, we've got to admit, you know, we have to um, you know, do something about this, and isn't that terrible? And you know, like I said, people buying in other people's business. Why, you know, why? You know, what's the necessity of it, right?
2: Well, and even I mean, I think one of the biggest um, ways that people with with disabilities end up involved in the criminal justice system, that right, I see so often is these welfare checks. You know, when people call the call the cops to check on somebody's welfare, and it's like You know, it it really began, it began out in the the Supreme Court case where they talked about, basically, that the cops um, have this thing where they, you know, one of the roles is to enforce the law and another one of the roles is, quote-unquote, community caretaking. Well, community caretaking, you know, started one way and has become this multi-headed monster where it's really just becoming more and more of an excuse to circumvent the, you know, the Fourth Amendment. The people have a right to be secure and safe in their homes, and even if you have a disability, you know, they're supposed to have to get a warrant.
3: Exactly. Yeah, you don't forfeit your rights just because you have a medical need or some kind of a need, you know. You don't suddenly forfeit your rights, and that community caretaking thing is really where the rubber meets the road on this stuff. Um, I think that's, um, I'm glad you raised that, Noah, because it's, um, like, is this, if the cops decide that, you know, they need to take care of you, whether you actually need it or not, you certainly have no rights. And um, I really cannot comprehend how um this is okay. You know, I right. think that it's-
2: like, what? it's like, I was in a meeting the other day with um, several of the local law enforcement agencies, and, and they were talking about this as like it was a positive thing, and I was just like, really what it is is you showing up and shooting somebody that prevents them from harming themselves. And they kind of look at me, well, that's not what it is. And I was like, well, that's exactly what it is. Because it's exactly what happens in these situations. And it's redundant. And half the time, the person would have been better off. He would have just left them alone.
3: Exactly. You know, yeah. We just, uh, you know, half step in when they're not needed. We need to stop having that be a thing for them to even respond. And then that would go a long way. Um, and, again, there's community caretaking where you suddenly... You know, insert yourself in other people's lives um, and and remove all of their rights away from them. To me, that is the most appalling thing of all. And I have seen not one good thing come out of that. Never. It's always been bad. Hmm. Yeah, like they
0: say, yeah. if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
3: Well. Unfortunately, that is broken. We do need to fix that, because the police, like I said, Yeah,
0: they They think it's their right to do that. Then they fix, then they try to fix something that they break. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You got that right. And they make it worse.
3: Indeed. I will tell you that from working with, like, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of police brutality cases over the years, um, I would say that quite a few of them, probably two-thirds, and I'm not just talking about mental health crisis calls now, I'm talking about probably about two-thirds or more of the police brutality cases we deal with are um, involved some type of um, of uh, disability. Uh, people with disabilities just,
0: frankly, want to catch help on the police, you know? So.
1: Yeah. And that's a large focus of the Minnesota Disability Justice Network also, right, Noah? Yeah, we do a lot of work with,
2: um, with, um, uh, with specifically with policing issues because they are so out of control, um, and I really felt that, uh, people with disabilities needed a voice in, um, in the social justice movement because as as Michelle mentioned, you know, 54% of police shootings are people with disabilities. And, um, it's, it's aberrant to me that, 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 that number, that that's, that's over half. Um, and so one of the initiatives we actually got passed last year, Minnesota actually ranked second in the country, um, for, um, the number of individuals who live live with autism spectrum disorders, and we saw all these uh, um, all these violent confrontations between law enforcement and kids on the autism spectrum, just all over the state, um, and it really culminated with the death of um, Kobe Heisler in Brooklyn Center, um, where cops showed up. And his parents had already, and grandparents had already de-escalated uh, Kobe. Kobe had already calmed down. The cops were not needed. And the cops insisted on going in anyways. And re-escalated him. And, and as a result, they ended up shooting. Um, he died. And that was first death um, of someone with autism my um, police in the state of Minnesota. But we had really had a lot of other incidents that were just resulting in these violent beatings. Um, I myself was actually beat up um, in Kafka um, over a welfare check. And so when I say that welfare checks are really problematic, um, that comes from personal experience. Um, and so we really need to reform those as well um, the other thing that I often see a problem with, particularly in the juvenile justice system, is fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, there's a lot of kids that as a result of fetal alcohol syndrome, they really struggle to emotionally regulate and they struggle with um um impulsivity. And so we really need to be able to support those kids as well.
3: You know, you mentioned about um, Kobe being the first um, <coughs> who, uh, with uh, autism who was killed. But there there are other um, young people who have had a lot of other, you know, um, similar and related um, situations. I'm thinking about uh, Keaton Lawson, who yeah. was, um, you know, mentally ill, and basically he was a cutter. And um, his family called because he had cut himself uh. off. That day was bleeding more than usual. And as soon as the cop showed up and he had his little knife in his hand from cutting himself, they opened fire, you know, they opened the door, they demanded he open the door, he opened the door, and they um, quickly fire him, I mean, you know, fire on him. And he died right there in his doorway. And it's truly appalling. But there's just so many of these cases of mental health crisis where...
2: Another one that made um, national news um, a couple years ago was a kid named Ethan Taylor. Um, who had Down syndrome, and he was in a movie theater, and he decided he wanted to watch the movie again. And his PCA was trying to get up um, and um, and kind of coax him to person because the movie was over. And rather than listen uh, to um, to his PCA and allow someone who knew what they were doing to address the situation, uh, several off-duty police officers. Uh, football tackled him and actually tried to drag him out in the movie theater and he uh, choked
0: and died.
3: Yeah, there's no good reason for that to have happened, none whatsoever. You know, it's, um, the thing is, it's, it's, it's along the same kind of line where, you know, you, you have to react on the cop's timeline. You know, and if you don't move fast enough, you know, I worked with a, a man, for example, who had had a stroke and so, Kind of one side of his body was quite a bit weaker than the other. He was still able to walk and things like that. But, and he was actually working. He worked as a nurse's aide. But, um, you know, he kind of, um, you know, didn't do things all that fast. And they wanted him to get out of the car. And we, when he couldn't unbuckle his feet, felt fast enough, and kind of like because he was a little unsteady on his feet, get out of the car fast enough, they snatched him out of the car and beat the living daylights out of him. Um, it was really horrifying, and there's not even any good reason for it, because you know you couldn't respond, you know, to, to meet their timeline. There have been other people, for example, who were um, there was a, a, a few different reports of deaf people who, because they couldn't understand what the police officer was saying, didn't respond as fast, you know, or, or respond at all, and getting interested. shot, getting killed, you know. One one I was watering his garden with a garden hose, and you know how we put on the ends of our garden hoses those little um, sprayers that you know you put on to spray, you know, your garden or whatever for watering. He had that on, and the cop like quickly thought it was a gun for some reason, and he's screaming, "Drop the gun! Drop the gun!" And the man is deaf; he can't hear him. He's like this older guy; he doesn't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, the cop just guns him down and kills him right there in his in his yard because he thought a garden hose you know, sprayer or a, a gun, and the man couldn't respond to him because he was deaf. So, you know, these, these issues are just huge. Um, and we, you know, probably need to do somewhat of a better job with training cops, but honestly, it's not, training isn't the full answer. You know, you did get a bill passed um, last session to put funding towards um, training in um, autism for law enforcement officers, which I think is very good. And so maybe you want to talk about that a little bit, Noah, but... Um,
2: yeah, we did get a bill so passed and it actually wasn't even funding um, that we got. The original bill that um, we had um, asked for was uh, simply funding um, a grant, um, you know, a, a state grant to um, train uh, cops on autism. But what we ended up walking out with, um, really as a result of um, Colby's family, um, I really wanted stronger language. So we were, we got more than funding, and we actually got a statewide mandate saying the cops have to be trained on autism spectrum disorders in the state of Minnesota. Um, and so I've actually been a part of the um, implementation committee of that, and unfortunately, um, due to many of my health issues, I've missed a lot of meetings, but there is... Um, Really, an act of effort by both the autism community and community members um, to have this um, this training um, push forward in the next couple years, where every single cop in the state of Minnesota is going to be trained on autism sexual disorder. Yeah.
3: And I think that's a, you know that's a very good thing. Training is important, but it's um, only a piece of the equation. Like I said, the best the best of all worlds is to get cops from uh, keep cops from actually responding to most of those calls in the first place. Yeah. Um, and that way, you know, um, there's no opportunity. Because honestly, they were in that house with, with Kobe. I've seen the video. I went with the family to view the video in a private viewing. And honestly, um, they were in that house for no more than five minutes or so when, you know, he simply got up to run away from them. And they gunned him down, shot him in the back. It was upalling. So, you know not knowing, you know and they're sitting there trying to pretend like they know how to de escalate. It was like it was a joke. Watching it. I was like, Well
0: he was dude, already de
3: like, <laughs> Right. They kept stepping up in his face. You know, I was like, Why are you getting so close to this man? You know? Step back. You're out of his personal face. He was like right on the top of like, right on top of him. It just didn't make any sense the way that just went down. So um, really appalling and um, and 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 completely unnecessary death. That death never needed to happen and uh, just could not have happened. You know, had they never come to the house, had they never, had they like, because the family when they when they after they called, they're called back and said never mind, and they still came anyway. And when they came, then the grandfather is calling them out in the driveway. We don't need you. You need to leave. No, we have to go inside because if he threatened you, you know, he's dangerous, and, well, it was just a lie, it was a total, total lie. They created the danger that took Kobe's life,
2: so. And know, like, so often, you know, and, like, so often they do. Well, so, you know, so often when they go out and they shoot someone with a disability, it really is they state created danger.
3: Exactly, exactly. It's like that man who was recently shot in St. Paul that was, like, hiding, he was naked, he was uh, in the middle of the winter, so pretty clearly something was wrong, and he was, you know, was having a mental health crisis. And um, they basically got him out of the dumpster, um, and then he, you know, he's standing outside the dumpster. They put a dog on him. And when he tried to scramble to get away from the dog, because his dog is, like, you know, biting him and doing all this, um, he trying to get away from the dog. They perceive that as him trying to run at them, so they shoot him. Luckily, that cop, I think, is going to have some consequences for it, um, but, um, you know, this is, we just have to do a lot better, and we have to take cops out of situations. Like, there's no way in the world that somebody that's, like, a mental health practitioner is going to shoot somebody in that circumstance. It's like, what they would not have put a dog on them in the first place, you know, that sort of thing. So, there's just a ton more things that need to be done to um, lessen the interactions between Um, law enforcement and people um, with various disabilities. So, super important efforts that people are making right now.
0: I agree. How much time do we need to fill up, you (laughs) guys?
3: I'm sorry. How much time do we need to fill up?
1: Um I think we can be we can be done whenever we'd like, but um just one thing I think for um for you know beginning to close the episode is I'm wondering um people in their own communities, who should they be talking to? should they be talking to social service agencies, should they be talking to their police department, should they be talking to their representatives um how do we start to get these alternatives rolling? And where are the best places to have those conversations?
3: Well, one of the things um, is that every single county in the state of Minnesota has a mental health crisis response unit of some type. What we need to have happen is for dispatch to triage those cases directly over to mental health crisis response and not to Mm -hmm. call the police first. So we are working um, on a bill that would um, that would say that if you've got a mental health crisis response, triage uh, dispatch, nine one one dispatch has got to refer people to that first as the primary responder. So in other words, like if you think about when somebody gets a nine one one, you know, call comes in, they got they they've got you can almost think of it right like buttons. They have got a police button, they've got a fire button, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, they got you know they got these different buttons they could push. We want there to be like a mental health crisis button, so to speak, so that they push that button as the primary response, and not bringing out the cops and then having the cops call them later if they feel like doing it. Um, you know, we just don't think that they should the be the police prim- should be the primary responder for any of these kinds of situations. And so you know that's where things have got to start. And people can get that to happen by talking to their county commissioners. Every county in the state does not one of these crisis response units. What we don't have is nine one one dispatch sending the calls to those people. So everybody could be talking to their their county commissioners. They could be talking to their city councilors to insist that it happens this way. Um, there's definitely things people can do, and they can also be looking at their own area where they live and seeing what the infrastructure looks like, so that there could be an infrastructure to. Um, have people, you know, uh, have a way to have non-police response. You know, you got to build that infrastructure. If it doesn't exist, talk to your city council and get it to, to
0: exist. Bring it into existence.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right, well, you know, thank you so much for bringing these important issues to um, the forefront yeah. today. Um it's really, really something that we all need to hear and be focused
3: on. So. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, yes. Thank you for coming on.
3: Well, my pleasure. I would come on anytime.
0: Oh, you bet. Thank you for coming on, Noah. Yeah, thanks for having me. hmm
2: all right, back welcome. We'll talk to you
3: later, all right? All right, all
0: right. Thanks for being there. Goodbye. All right, bye. Okay. All right. Good night.